2: Keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick.
0: All right, Chelsea fans, after a long-awaited re-entry back into the podcast game after our long, long trip to London, uh, we're back, gentlemen. Nick and Dan, hanging out with us. We are. Uh, we, we're coming back after a week, Dan. I, I don't know about you. We had to knock the rust off a little bit. Uh, but are you ready? You pumped? Yes. All right, so, Nick. So I need. So I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, so I'm gonna so lean on always. you. <laughs> 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 I need you to bring uh, the excitement
1: levels up that I'm not getting <laughs>
0: from Dan
1: right now. <laughs>
3: Yeah,
0: excitement
1: has a variety of, of ways that it can be shown. It doesn't have to be in audio fashion.
2: Yeah, I want, I want to give our listeners a visual um, that I somehow broke or lost a part of my mic stand, so I am uh, I'm Bob Barker on the mic today, holding it up the entire time, showing that extra effort uh, for for our listeners. Well, uh, well, now let's tell them what they won. Just to- one dollar, Bob. One dollar.
0: All right. Well, we also uh, have Liam Toomey, a friend from ESPN FC joining us. Uh, Liam, maybe I need to call on you for that extra injection of um, audio excitement for a podcast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I, I'm just a bit worried because I never had a mic stand in, in the first place. I'm not sure where <laughs> that leaves me. Well, uh, we'll have to get to. Uh, I'm excited to be here. It's a pleasure
0: no that's good obviously you were at the match yesterday so uh we'll definitely lean on that experience um as, as we get through this but obviously getting into it dan we do have itunes reviews some some five-star friends that deserve a shout
1: out yeah you know even though we did not record last week and thank you to all those who understood we needed a little r&r during our return home some time with family and friends but uh cturi11 and uh Pot or bbot uh one eight two, both loved, uh some five star love on iTunes, Nick. So uh, we want to thank them, and uh, I think also there's some Patreon shout outs too.
2: You know, Dan, that's correct. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you were doing guys. such a good. You were doing <laughs> such a good Bob Barker kind of mind
1: uh, right now. Like yeah. I could
2: just feel you in trying to embody it. I I feel like I feel like a one Liam me in front of the camera, just holding up this lovely mic. Um, now, Derek and Eric, who, uh, who were both on our inaugural uh, trip last May uh, over to London, both upgraded their pledges on Patreon like crazy people, uh, which is, is just incredible. Um, we thank them so much for, uh, for believing in us and, and contributing on a monthly basis. Uh, and if you're interested in, in kind of chipping in, it's certainly not a, uh, a requirement uh, of listening to the show. Uh, we just kind of set it up for those who, who felt like um, they wanted to, to chip in on a monthly basis. Go to Patreon.com and uh, and look up our page. It's it's pretty easy, Brandon. Absolutely. You know, we always like to highlight almost
0: a question of the day or kind of one tweet that we want to pull out that kind of kicks off the podcast, you know, a little bit. D G on Instagram. Totally butchered it, but appreciate your question. Says... Probably Mumsy, right? Mumsy. mums-y yeah. You know, I potentially. It, but they said, I got home from work at 5 a.m. here in New Jersey. Woke up at 7.25 a.m. to watch the match. A. That's just dedication. Then he continues and says, I was more enthused than Conte yesterday. Uh, you know, Liam, you, you were there. It seemed like every time the camera panned to Conte, he was sitting in his seat with his arms crossed. Obviously, towards the end of the match, he's much more riled, but can you imagine that someone off two and a half hours of sleep over here in the U.S. was more excited for the match than Antonio?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's not, um, it's not really the only time we felt that uh, with, with, with Conte this season, particularly in the second half of the season. I think in 2018, the only time I've really seen him properly animated on the touchline was maybe early in the United game. And uh, and and during the Barcelona home leg, uh, he's there. Seems to be, I think, a little bit of a a symbiotic relationship between how enthused he is on the touchline and how much interest the team show on the pitch. They kind of feed off each other, uh, which is why I think he he got he got into it more in the second half. And he, and he said to us afterwards that he was. Very, very angry at the lack of passion and desire. He said the word desire about eight times in his post-match press conference uh, that his team had shown in the first half. So I think he he kind of feels like he gets energy from from his players as well. And and, and if they don't give him anything, that he's uh, he he's, he finds it harder to give anything back. But it doesn't it doesn't help the general sort of perception that he seems to be counting the days until he can leave. I, th- I think that's where we're at. You know, it's
0: a little weird, Nick. Sometimes I think we overanalyze Antonio's body language, but at the same time, last year that was his signature move. That's what he also, you know, prided himself on.
2: Yeah, uh, that that to me is is a direct. There's a direct correlation there. You know, if he's if he's track track suit, unshaven, uh, arms crossed looking back to his bench occasionally but making no real effort to engage his players that are on the pitch i i think like you know on the flip side of his argument about desire you know the players could look at him and be like yeah do you really care right now like if i you know if i'm marcus Alonso and i screw something up right in front of him am i that worried that you're gonna yell at me i don't know uh so it it's it's certainly true and I mean as as a person who woke up at 6:30 a.m. yesterday to watch this uh, unfold uh, I can tell you it directly I had as much energy on my couch as it appeared that he had on the touchline and that is uh Dan that's not a high level uh, I I can confirm uh, for for our, our listeners out there Maybe he's just not getting the right amount, of,
1: like you know, treats or pregame snack. You know, maybe his blood sugar was a little low, and we're we're not taking that into consideration. I mean, there's, there's a lot of extenuating factors that could more
2: filter more espresso.
1: That. Uh, maybe, maybe some of those. Uh, maybe he hasn't gotten those honey sweets he used to suck on last season
0: to
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: help with his his throat. Well,
0: either way, uh, I'd be interested to hear kind of what the rest of our audience thinks as far as um, some of the body language, energy levels of Antonio. So feel free to always get in touch with us, social media or email. Uh, But let's go ahead and get into the match. Uh, As always, before that, we always thank our presenting sponsor, Nick, com. Kind of a fun time when it comes to online retailers as, as the new season is kind of getting near, isn't it?
2: True. Uh, so uh, if if it's, you know, if the release schedule goes uh, like it typically would for for Chelsea, there should be some new kits uh, releasing at the end of the season. So just in a in a few weeks time. So World Soccer Shop will have all of that ready um, so you can kind of wash your hands of this season and, and move on to the next one. Uh, go to WorldSoccerShop.com. We may even have uh, something uh, special going on with the kit release. So stay tuned. Awesome. All right. Well, as you all know, as we kind of talked about it, it was
0: Southampton this past Saturday. We're in the Premier League, but it was also maybe a, an FA Cup semi final warm up, you know, a, a preview to what's coming next weekend. And we're at St. Mary's. You know, Liam, real quick, I thought it was absolutely quiet inside there uh, throughout most of the match.
3: Well, I think um, it, it was pretty noisy when Southampton went 2 0 up, uh, <laughs> but it. It's, uh, I, th- I think that whenever you visit one of the stadiums of, of one of these clubs that are, are, are battling furiously against relegation, I think the, the noise is always um, hampered by the, the sense of anxiety that's pumping through the place at any given moment. And um, you know, I, th- I think Southampton properly started to believe when they went two goals up, but the moment that Giroud header hit the back of the neck, you, you felt the whole atmosphere change and it went it went pretty deathly quiet and um you could hear the groans every time a Southampton player shanked an attempted clearance out of his own penalty area and they they, they knew that their team was capable of crumbling and that, and that that's what transpired. So I, th- I think that, that definitely affected the the atmosphere. Also actually on the from the perspective of the Chelsea fans, I mean I heard some early chants of Antonio uh which, were, which was which slight, was slightly surprising given the way that the last month or two has gone but the the away fans the the Chelsea away fans have never really wavered um in their support of conte uh but they although they were pretty quiet at 2-0 down as well to be fair um so it, it was a little bit of a a roller coaster for both sets of fans, and the, the the Chelsea fans were pretty happy by the end. But when you've only really got the away end making noise, uh, that, that doesn't generally translate too well through through the TV.
0: Yeah, no, 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 that makes sense. Um, what? Well, I guess as we continue, obviously Chelsea three, Saints two. No one had a correct score prediction. We had close. We had three one. But anyways, Dan, run us through the lineup. A couple changes. Not nothing crazy though.
1: Yeah, Cour- Courtois between the sticks. And we had a, a back three of Gary Cahill uh, replacing the uh, critical Rudiger. Uh, Andreas Christensen and Cesar Aspilicueta. When you move forward, it was Alonso and Zappacosta starting on the wings with a midfield pairing. Everyone's favorite dynamic duo, Cesc Fabregas and Golo Conte, Hazard, William, and Morata would be the front three attackers. Uh, and we did get a chance to see some appearances from Victor Moses-Pedro and, of course, the meaty French forehead himself, Drew. So
0: I'm actually going to skip ahead to to kind of the third question I want to level up to Liam real quick was this Rudiger thing. So obviously he came out kind of publicly and, and wasn't exactly excited with the way things were going uh, in the team. So is it is it time to just, you know, is Conte... Is he gone at this point? I mean, is it to the point where the players in the squad know it? It is so common knowledge that they are actually willing to go out and publicly and make comments criticizing him? Because to me, if Conte were going to be there next season, if these guys had to really continue to stay on his good side to try and get in the team for next season, they wouldn't be doing something like this. Like, they they kind of took me aback now that we're seeing this.
3: Um, Well, perhaps. I mean, you've not really heard... Anything too forthright from any of the players directly at Conte. I think the the comment that many people are linking Rüdiger's absence with was, as far as I can tell, the comment he made to TV after the West Ham draw, where he was saying, "I don't know why we drop so deep um, every time we score and and let the other team take the initiative," and that you know you can construe that one of one of two ways it's either a pop at Conte or it's a pop at the teammates um, for for allowing that to happen. Because I I think sometimes when a team drops deep defensively, it it can be a psychological thing as much as a a tactical switch. Uh, Clearly, if if Conte has left him out of the Southampton game as retribution, then he's clearly interpreted it as a a direct criticism of him. Um, I don't think that, you know, there's no sort of, open mutiny. This is not the final days of Mourinho. Uh, I think there are probably some, some players as with any underperforming squad, I think there are some players who are probably pretty sick and tired of, of Conte, not, not necessarily to the extent they were with Mourinho, but just maybe a little bit worn out by his methods and and by his general, general style of management. Um, having said that, you know, the second half performance against Southampton, showed that he can, he can still get a reaction out of them. I, I don't really like the general phrase oh, that the players are playing for the manager because I don't think that that should ever be the case, I think. Uh, I'm not saying it's not a thing that exists, but I think players generally, you know, they have an element of professional pride as well that goes beyond just, oh, I like this guy. I'm going to try and play well today. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think they... They may be a little bit worn out by Conte and the fact that it is so obvious at this stage that he and Chelsea will part ways at the end of the season is not helping their, their state of mind in terms of giving them an edge on the pitch. But just as problematic, I think is just the situation Chelsea are in with their season. The the top four is gone. They've got nothing really tangible to play for now uh, apart from the FA Cup. So, I think there is going to be this kind of feeling, this kind of listlessness, to the rest of their Premier League fixtures, and it's going to be something that they might have to try and shake themselves out of during matches, as they do did against Southampton, and something that Conte will have to try and shake out of them as he as he managed to do at the weekend. So, I mean,
0: Nick, obviously coming from your perspective, uh, you know, what if this is? I don't know. I, what's kind of the situation, I guess, between the players and the manager? through the end of the season, if this is kind of generally accepted that Conte is not going to be there anymore, uh, the, you know, obviously the players aren't playing for the manager. I get Liam's take on that, but I mean, how do you think this is kind of going to end in the next few matches?
2: I couldn't tell you, honestly, I, I, I looked at yesterday's first half performance and was so disappointed at the total lack of what I would term, give a shit. Um, it, 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 it boggled my mind, uh, how, how poorly the team came out. And, and this is kind of where I would, I I would take Liam's point very seriously. You know, let's pretend that no player at Chelsea has ever really played for a manager. And I don't think that's true, but let's just pretend for a second. There are other Chelsea teams in the past who coming off of a, a, you know, five wins in 2018, uh, would have come out and wanted to just bury Southampton straight away and prove that they are not kind of premier league lackeys. This team came out with the same kind of laissez-faire. Let's just kind of jog around. Let's make sideways passes. Let's not really get into the box. You know, Maratza's offside doesn't really matter. Uh, I was so disappointed to see that kind of a reaction because like, uh, you know, again, if we all assume Conte's gone at this point. Uh, and and it's a real shame that it didn't work out uh, in in a way that coming off of the last season, I think we would have wanted to. But then I would put a lot of my focus directly on the players and say, you know, uh, if, if if your professional pride is is truly there and you're not holding back because you're afraid of getting injured and uh, you know kind of ahead of a World Cup, Then what the hell was that? (laughs) I mean, Southampton are easily one of the worst teams in the league. You know whether or not they go down won't take away from how truly terrible that team is. I don't understand that reaction from the players. I don't. I didn't understand it against West Ham. Certainly didn't understand it in the second half against Spurs. Um, We witnessed that shit show in person. And and I you know if he's gone and and they're trying to impress whoever comes in next. Ugh, I mean, Giroux the only one who did that yesterday. So, I, I mean, that's just kind of how I feel about it. And I, you know, Dan, I, I, I would, I would put the lens more firmly focused on on the players at this point. I know that we did that. I did that terrible chart where I couldn't add up to hundred uh, percent a couple of weeks ago.
3: <laughs> oh, and
2: uh, and and I think it, you know, it, I put a lot of the focus on the board for not you know executing a philosophy, but. Right now, in this particular moment, I'm looking at the players uh, for a reaction.
1: Yeah, there was the the point that, you know, between uh, Brandon and Liam, where they were talking about the idea of, you know, kind of the, what's left to, you know, play for, uh, top four being gone. I mean, it, you know, essentially would need to, you know, overcome an eight-point deficit on, on Spurs, which... You know, they, they do get to play a couple of teams that are in good form or in better form than some others like uh, Leicester and Newcastle before the end of the season. But that that's probably probably unlikely. Um, you know, you have Burnley about to chomp away on the heels here of Arsenal and somehow potentially qualify for Europa, which would be amazing. Um, so, I mean, we're kind of, you know, in this fifth, scenario and it's, most likely going to end that way. I think a uh, goal impact, which is a pretty good statistical Twitter account went and did the math on it. And I think it's in, in less than 9% of kind of the permutations of it. Uh, we would finish fourth, but in like 90.4% of them we finish in, in fifth place. So uh, it's a little fatalistic. And I think that's going to be make it. I don't know if I, I, I think, No one is realizing or no one's accepting of the fact that that is kind of the situation. And I think because of that, the one benefit you might get at the end of the season like this, where you'd get a chance to run out a Dujan Sterling, a Callum Hudson-Odoi, a couple of the Trevor Chalaba, you're not going to potentially get the chance to see him because I do believe that we're going to believe that we can get top four. And I think that that is a very hard uh, ask. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that for sure. I mean, I think you're you're hitting the head or the nail on the head right away. It's just not going to happen, is it? I don't see any of those youth guys getting in. That's just not Conte style. And again, he isn't going to personally benefit from that. Like I mean, he's going to get goodwill from the fans, but it's not going to necessarily make his life any easier because these guys haven't really been integrated into the first team. And so, I mean, if Emerson Palmieri, who's been in the first team for the last four months, can only get a couple of charity minutes here and there, I can't imagine you know him dipping into the 18s and the and the under 23s to bring through some of those guys. It's just that's not what Conte does. Um,
1: yeah, and I think the point to that is just. As we get closer to the end of the season, and as you see very similar lineups roll out every week, uh, I know Liam probably sees this uh, in his Twitter feeds when he puts out the lineup. But uh, don't don't get upset because you know if you know what you're going to expect, like it will at least make you feel a little less dead inside when you don't see some of these great talents <laughs> get a run out.
0: Well, okay. So the other part that we kind of talked about was people playing for the World Cup. I mean, Rudiger obviously needs to have some good performances to to cement his place pushing for a start, I think, Liam. But also Giroud. I mean, he came on a man inspired. Do you think this is just, you know, him? Fighting at the you know his opportunities for minutes because you know Conte's gone with Murata pretty hard lately, and uh, he also is fighting for a World Cup spot as well.
3: Yeah, I think I think Giroud has seen an opportunity, and it was the opportunity he saw when he agreed to join Chelsea in January, which was that, that there would only be one striker ahead of him, and and that Maratta might not even be ahead of him, given that his form. Since the autumn has been, you know, anything but what you'd expect from a number one striker at top clubs. Giroud knows that the minutes are there for the taking in the remainder of Chelsea's season, and he took his opportunity brilliantly against Southampton. He he did everything in that twenty nine minutes that that Morata couldn't do. Morata, I thought, you know, he's shown more promising signs in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we saw those quotes from him saying that he. He kind of wishes he'd taken time off for his back injury a little bit earlier and I'm sure that that has hindered him this season maybe more than than we've given given credit for but he was back to the worst things about his game against Southampton he, he obviously wasn't the only one that the whole team were, were awful in that first half but he was he was getting bullied by Maya Yoshida who is you know a, a, a decent <laughs> Premier League Premier League centre-back but he's not he, he's not a man mountain. You know he's he's one of the least physically imposing centre backs in the league, and, and he was he was dominating Morata physically. As soon as Giroud came on, he stood on Yoshida, um, he 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 forced him to compete in the air, and and Southampton couldn't deal with it, and they they crumbled within within eight minutes. And I think that that's testament to Giroud, but it's also a bit of an indictment of what Morata did. When he was still on the pitch, I've been really impressed with Giroud's attitude uh, since he arrived at Chelsea. I thought he'd be a good signing, exactly what Chelsea needed at least on a short-term basis. Um, He he fits well style-wise with the way Conte wants to play, and as you say, he's hungry. You know, it's a a World Cup year. He he was sick of sitting on the bench at Arsenal, especially when they were signing striker after striker from France, no less. and he's he's got an opportunity now, and 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 he seems determined to take it. And I I think he's probably played himself into a into a starting spot for that Wembley FA Cup semi final. Now
2: I I couldn't agree more. I I think the the thing that's really impressive about his game when he comes on is it looks like the team passing flow in the final third is so much better. Uh, I, he provides not only a focal point, which I know Brandon has, has brought up on the show many, many, many times about how Chelsea need that kind of strong, imposing hold-up play to, to allow players to move forward and, and to do some of the back-channel passing. But I just feel like he's a, he's a better passer than I ever gave him credit for uh, when he was at Arsenal. And you could even see in some of the, the final third stuff that didn't come off yesterday – that at least there was an idea of where he wanted to go and i think that is probably you know outside of maratta's um lack of ability with his feet um this entire season uh i think that's something that i've been really frustrated with uh kind of watching maratta is you know the the back heel flicks to no one uh you know that's it just doesn't work anymore like i i, I really I don't know how he's going to work this summer to to get more Premier League ready next year, but it's clear to me that Giroux wants to start and you know has a, a really good idea of what he wants to do on the pitch. And I think Marat is still kind of questioning him himself uh, in space, uh, whether or not to make the run, whether or not to uh, to link up with Hazard or to overlap. You know, I think there's just a lot of confusion there for whatever reason. Uh, Dan, I don't know how you uh, how you see that. Well, actually,
1: well, and, let, and, let me jump and in he's real quick. To challenge Dan. for a
2: ball. I mean, I'm going okay. to send it to you. But real quick, to me,
0: I, I get what you're saying. But Man City don't play with a big man up top. So to me, it this like Murata is Mishi version two, Dan, where Antonio Conte is not playing to his strengths, whereas Giroud's strengths fit in much better, like Liam said. So I actually think it's a Conte issue more than a Maratta issue.
1: We'll have to uh, mark this date down so that we can kind of follow up on it sometime in the uh, middle to late part of next season and
3: let <laughs> well, I me mean, just depends, find out right?
1: if, if the Like no, I, I mean, You're right. You're right. You're right, you're, right you're right. He he's not good the way that Giroud can and hold it up and then distribute it out and then make the run into the box without falling down. Um you know, I think that was. You know, a the without testament.
2: falling down part is really is really key. It's, there it's actually
1: kind of crucial to being an athlete, <laughs> uh, unless like your sport is uh, like the luge or something, or the yeah. uh, the skeleton, and you need to actually be like falling down and then sliding. <laughs> um, which, uh, then he could consider a career change. But I, mean, I think what you saw, you know, the, the the headed goal that he put in uh, this match with uh, the wicked Alonzo whip in. Like, you know, he he was kind of elbowing and, and straddling and fighting for that goal the entire time. And I guarantee if Maratha was in the same position, that, that would not have been a goal. Well, we have obviously
0: some Instagram comments on this. I mean, this is probably the biggest talking piece, you know, at the day, especially because, you know, what Giroud did in in 25 minutes versus Maratta in 65 is obviously easy to see. So, Jant Gronke saying, Has Giroud earned a starting spot after his last few sub appearances? Seems to me he's more in form. Turbyville saying, Do you think Maratta is done? He doesn't compare Giroud right now. That would be interesting, dropping uh, the record signing. 12 months after he arrived and then obviously our friend Derek saying given Drew's per- recent performances especially but not only today do you think he's finally earned the right to have an official London is blue nickname
2: Ooh man Ooh, Derek with the fire I know oh, no but
0: but Liam just kind of maybe going back to the starting place do you think Drew could lead the line from the
3: beginning or he is he just better suited as an impact sub um, I, I think he's he's perfectly capable of starting. Uh, clearly, it didn't work very well at, at camp. Now, when when they tried to do it against Barcelona, but um, you know, mo- most teams they play won't be Barcelona. Uh, I think, it, yeah, he's he, he's very capable for all the reasons we said. He's an intelligent target man. He is exactly the kind of point of reference that Conte always talks about. You know, Conte's whole whole attacking system. Um, relies on the central striker to sort of set the table for the entire team to lay balls off to the to the wide creators and, and find midfield runners and hold the ball up. And, you know, when when is not doing that for one reason or another, everything sort of crumbles and suddenly Hazard vanishes from the game and Willian vanishes from the game and Chelsea are pushed backwards. Um, so they, they, they need a striker that can do that in the short term, certainly in the FA Cup because that's the one the one thing they can still win, and I, th- I think Giroud is probably the, the best option at this point. In in the long term, I mean, I, I would be absolutely stunned if Morata was uh, left Chelsea this summer, unless he unless he really pushed his way out, unless he decides he's really not happy at the club or in England. Which you know, there've been noises that he's not necessarily loving it in England. He's he's denied those, but um, I think he would have to really force his way out because Chelsea have have invested a lot of money and a lot of faith in him, uh, there are a lot of reasons. There's a lot of mitigating factors for why he struggled this season. I think Chelsea would hope, similarly with Timoe Bakayoko, that with a full pre-season um, and with maybe a healthier healthier year in terms of injuries and another year of experience in England under their belts, that
2: they, they could show more flashes of, of the players that they can be. I I would have a question then because I I think health is part of it, you know, uh, especially those two. I mean, those are the the big signings from the summer. Uh, do you do you think that they are both confidence players? And if so, uh, and this this is for you, Liam, do you do you think that Antonio has the penchant for stripping confidence from a player if they don't do everything that he asks?
3: Um. That's an interesting one. I'd, I I certainly think Murata is a, is a confidence player. I think I think Bakayoko has suffered with confidence purely because he's young uh, and in a new league and and he's had to adapt to a lot at the same time. Um, in terms of Conte's management, uh, he's certainly uncompromising. He's very demanding of his players, uh, and that that kind of steers more towards, I guess, uh, prioritizing experience in your team because experienced players are less likely to let you down in, at least in the mind of a a manager like Conte, but I don't, I don't necessarily see him actively stripping away the confidence from a player in the way that say Mourinho has done in the last two or three years. I've I've never seen uh, Conte destroy a player in public. You know the way Mourinho can. He's he, he's not publicly criticised a, a particular player for their performance on the pitch. Uh, he, even with you know when a player has in his mind crossed him, he, he'll always say it was a tactical decision and let you know let other people do the talking around him. So I, I think uh, Conte is a demanding guy, but I, I don't necessarily think he's the reason why Murata and Bakayoko have struggled for confidence. I think they've just struggled for confidence and. The the worry Chelsea have is that, particularly with Maratta, is it a longer-term issue? Because there is a bit more of a track record of him getting in his own head. It happened at Juventus, happened a little bit around Madrid as well. I've spoken to people who covered him in Spain who said he was a, a really streaky player who, you know, who could go on long, older streaks and then suddenly when, when one goes in, he's just... Uh, He's, he's unstoppable. And, and that, to to an extent, is true of a lot of strikers, but it seems to be more extreme with him. And I think Chelsea need him to be a little bit more uh, stable, not getting too high or, or too low, because that's what the best goal scorers do.
0: I mean, he kind of had
3: digs at Christensen, though, didn't he? Um, well, I asked... Uh, I guess, I'm guessing you're referring to what Conte said on, on Friday, because um, I, I asked him about Christensen, why he'd been... Uh, put on the bench for the West Ham game, and I didn't actually read his comments as, as criticism at all. Uh, particularly like his body language and his tone as he was talking. I think he he was he was kind of defending Christensen. So I, I asked whether he was he felt that Andreas was uh, tired or just maybe mentally a bit a, a bit jaded and, and needed a little bit of protecting uh, after a few mistakes. And, and he he just said, look a season like this can can make you lose a lot of mental energy as a young player. So, um, And he, he made it clear in that answer that he will give Christensen many more opportunities between now and the end of the season. And then he restored him to the team for the Southampton game. So I, I, I didn't see any, any kind of issue there. And I certainly haven't seen a pattern with Conte of him talking down players in public in the way that you know, Mourinho regularly does, and I, I still don't really understand why he doesn't.
0: Yeah, there's definitely no comparison there. Um, unfortunately, Nick, I think we just learned that context is important, and we can't just take things in text at face value. So, it's it's
2: almost as if context whoops. is the most important thing. <laughs> um, and and that is something that we try and talk to on this show a lot because, like it quotes. Quotes without the reaction that Liam is talking about, you know, if, if the reaction, you know, had the classic Mourinho dismissiveness to them, then you think, oh, well, maybe, maybe there's something going on in the background. But, you know, if it's a it's a more calm, measured approach to, to the comment, then, you know, you can tell that I think, I, I think Antonio loves Christensen, by the way. I, th- I think he is, is really, um, enamored with what he can become as a center back but you know i think he also realizes that you know for for the mentality part that you were talking about with Bakioko liam like that that also transfers to an even younger player um who has played a hell of a lot more this year and has has really stood on his head for most of the most of the season but uh, you know i against your Barcelonas and against your man cities and against your united it's like it's just a different level that he has to raise his game to
0: all right well um you know i know obviously a lot of the debate has been around these strikers uh, probably because they were the you know the, the most visible within the match yesterday but uh as we kind of wrap this match review up i wanted to throw out something a little controversial potentially uh and get other people's opinions to to see if uh, i'm off base or not but i didn't think dave had a great day really at all personally
1: he did get shredded for the uh, the first goal. And that was that was uh, he got rounded real real quick down the side. I can accept that though.
0: Sometimes I mean we know he's not the fastest, but some of his passes out of the back and, and, and some positioning. I mean I will blame Courtois for that stupid pass right back to him with his back to the rest of the field. Wait, what? Oh, what? wow! <laughs> that was dumb. What?
1: Uh,
2: did that just happen?
1: I, I does your I'm does your
2: union know about this? <laughs> I'm neutral.
1: Typically, you have to go through your like your representative in the union, and then you have to like have a sit down conversation. Do we have a between, lawyer like, on this call? to
2: Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I think I think the problem with yes, and I would agree. Dave did not have a great game. Uh, I also and and I'm I don't think this is going too far. I think I don't think Fabregas and or helped him out at all in this match. I think. Uh, if you looked at the wing back positioning, uh, Zappa Costa was playing even further forward than Moses does typically. And on the, on the breakaway that you're talking about, there was about, I don't know, 30, 40 yards of space between, uh, Zappa and, and Dave. And that's just not, that's not a recipe for success. Dave's game is not based on speed. It's based on positioning. And, uh, that is not. Uh, Dan, that's not where you want to have have Dave with an on rushing um, winger right in his right in his face.
1: Yeah, it was it was a uh, was bad positioning, and you know I think uh, you know Cahill got caught off a little times too, just a, you know a half step or a step out of position. Uh, what was not a a hallmark game for our uh, defense, but when you think about the fact that we leaked two in and could have uh, had a few more scored on us. To walk away with a three-two victory, uh, I think you just have to look up to the heavens above and, and thank whatever's up there, and just move forward, understanding that you 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 walked away with something you shouldn't have. You know, you you you, you got a, a five finger discount um, equivalent there. So, Liam, what do you what do you get? Oh, go ahead. So, Liam, I guess to me, you know.
0: I can actually understand why Dave maybe had a poor game because he was a bit on an island having to do more than normal. But for the first 65 minutes, now you think about it, like the the goals we gave up were very soft. Essentially, people weren't marking and communicating. They were. I blame Alonzo on the free kick goal. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess it kind of seems like there wasn't that chemistry or the team really being like connected. Like we saw last season, everyone was on the same page. I don't know. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I think there's a big element of that. I think that, and I think it's affected Chelsea all season. Um, as much as you know, I think I think Christensen has been the the best story of of, of Chelsea season, and, and Rüdiger has played played pretty well for most of the time. The fact that that back three has changed so much more often, uh, you know, last season you could, you know, you could you could write it in in stone from from week. Well, from from October to May, uh, who that back three were going to be every single week. And, uh, and individually, all of the defenders that Conte can pick in those positions are, are good players. But collectively, the chemistry does suffer when you're chopping and changing all the time and... Um, you know, I, I felt for the first Southampton goal. Uh, there's never one. Mis- there's never one mistake. There's always several. Costa, yeah, just didn't track Bertrand. Aspelacqueta can't match him for pace. That's not a situation Chelsea ever want to happen. And then why was Dusan Tadic completely unmarked in the penalty area to to tap it in? Um, and the second goal, as you say, Alonso lets Bednarek run. Um, free at the back post. So yeah, there there are more errors this year than last year, and I think that comes down to individuals not performing as well. But but just as much it, it comes down to the collective chemistry, and I think that's affected Courtois behind as well because when a goalkeeper doesn't necessarily have the same level of familiarity um, and confidence in the in the guys in front of him, he it inhibits his performances as well. And I think it inhibits the confidence of the defenders in their goalkeeper when they don't have that sense of familiarity, if, if that makes sense. You know, I, th- I think it just affects everything.
0: No, you're right. Obviously, you just need to know what to expect from the people in front of you. And sometimes that just doesn't happen, Nick.
2: Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think you look at positioning-wise on the first goal, uh, there are large gaps all over the field. But then in the box, uh, I think there was a miscommunication between Christensen and Cahill about uh, whose man that was. And that that part should be easy, right? Like that should be um, even even in a quick moving game, you kind of know positioning where you're supposed to step up and then where Cahill's is supposed to track the runner on the other side. It just didn't happen. Uh, and I think, you know, especially on Alonzo's piece, Lonzo had a really, really bad first half, really bad. It uh, could have been sent off, and I don't, I don't know, Liam, in the stadium, if there was an uproar on that piece. But uh, his tackle on Shane Long was pretty atrocious.
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't there, there, there was a there was a big roar, the kind that you get every time a player on the home team goes down, and they're appealing for a free kick. Uh, but I don't think most people in the sh- in the stadium, including me. Um, appreciated how bad the tackle was in real time, and so uh, for that reason, I can sympathise with with the officials for missing it because, it, you know, depending on your angle, these things happen at su- at such speed. But on on the replays, it looks really bad, and I would be very very surprised if Alonso escapes an FA charge for that. It's one of that's going to be one of my first ports of call on. <laughs> On, on Monday to check in with the FA about that, because I presume that a, that a disciplinary charge will be coming his way.
0: Hmm.
2: Do you think that that will affect his eligibility for the FA Cup semi-final?
3: Potentially, if it's uh, if it's a straight if it's a straight red card offence. I think I think the rules are different between uh, violent conduct red cards and and red cards for bad tackles. So I'm not sure if it would just impact the Burnley game. Um, if he were to be banned, but either way, I think that if he is charged, the FA would look to move it along quite quickly so that you know the the, the punishment is served as soon as possible. Um, but it, you know it will be a problem for Chelsea, obviously, if he misses that FA Cup semi-final because, uh, as you say, Conte hasn't really given Emerson any time uh, to to do anything in in that position. Uh, any more than you know a minute or two at the end of game so if alonzo isn't there it wouldn't actually surprise me to see zappa costa starting on the left in that fa cup semi-final all right well i don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now
1: <laughs> the the darkest timeline just keeps on getting darker seriously uh, it's phenomenal
0: um all right well anything else you guys want to throw out before we head to the main of the match poll uh liam anything maybe that you caught in real time that maybe we didn't see on the tv or anything that we haven't covered
3: I mean, it wasn't. It, it wasn't a tremendously. It didn't. It, none of nothing in the game felt tremendously significant. <laughs> you, you know, the, this was the the 14th best team in 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 the league since the turn of the year in Chelsea against the 17th best. And quality wise, it, it looked like that for a long, long period. Uh, I guess the general sense I came away with was that there was a very there was a very Arsenal feel to the comeback (laughs) which was a very late Wenger era Arsenal feel to the comeback where it's it's not the kind of comeback that would leave supporters feeling really good about their team going away it's more just uh, taking advantage of a team or making incredibly hard work of a team that you should have been beating anyway after an absolutely atrocious first 45 minutes to an hour so it was. It definitely felt quite Arsenally, and not just because of Shiro. It, it did feel like it was probably the definition of Mark
1: Hughes's managerial career in in one match. Like his whole career, I think, could be that example of like a. a, a Bip, uh, or a, a you know, pop up of a couple really good moments, and then just a quick and swift gradual decline that involves him getting terminated from his employment.
3: Yeah, I think Southampton are going down now as well. They've got three of their last five games away from home, and and the, the one of the home games they've got left is against City on the final day. And I, I get it. I I reckon City will want to go out with a bang, so Southampton might have run out of run out of chances.
2: I hear that Manchester City team is pretty good, so (laughs) there's a chance, there's a chance they might win that one. (laughs) Quite possibly. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's kind of what
0: I was saying in our group text: is uh, us Chelsea fans suffered way more than what we really should have on an away day to Southampton. But thankfully, at the end, they did get it done. Uh, Dan, we did have a man of the match poll. A little confusing, uh, you know, separating the the degrees of difference not, between not the options. Not confusing at all. I, I mean, who do you? Man, not, not, not confusing well, at all.
1: Well, yeah. and it, there was there was a single option. There was one option. And the problem with Twitter is you you can't. A lot of problems, actually. Uh, Not as many as Facebook, but the problem with Twitter is you have to put anywhere between two to four options, and uh, you know, for the man of match poll. So we did uh, Olivier super sexy Frenchman Giroux. And, uh, you know, Olivier won with 32%, uh, followed very closely by Drew with 29 uh, super sexy, which is 28 and then uh, 11% for Frenchman, which was uh, kind of interesting. Little little prejudice or bias coming out there, guys.
0: Well, apparently fans are like his first name over his last name. That's the only thing I'm getting out of this.
2: This is super scientific, so I'm glad we did this.
0: All right. Well, as the table stands, we, as of today, have newly crowned Premier League champions, Manchester City, uh 87 points at the moment first place five matches to go united dropping points to secure that title for united on 71 points at second liverpool 70 points spurs 67 points then chelsea down in fifth at 60 arsenal sixth on 54 and in on rushing burnley which this is important for our next match uh, in seventh on 52 points so um you know, they are making a push for Europe. So that is how the table stands. That is how the Premier League champions stand. Uh, but we do need to get right into your social media questions. But first, Nick, uh, another plug for our, our wonderful sponsors, World
2: Soccer Shop. Correct. Uh, you guys know what to do with our, our uh, code. Go to WorldSoccerShop.com. Type in London LondonPod uh, at your checkout. Get 10% off. Uh, there will be lots of new merch coming away. There's World Cup merch out there uh, that will be uh, ready for uh, for a June 14th kickoff uh, in Russia. Uh, so uh, I would just uh, head on over there, use our code, let us know what you bought, send us all your photos, and uh, and we will be sure to uh, to pass that along. All right. I mean,
0: Liam, how embarrassing! It took City that long to clinch it. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, they took their time, didn't they? I was wondering how um, how the city fans who were who were videoed weeping in the in the in the bowels <laughs> of the Etihad Stadium after that that United comeback feel now that they've essentially just won the title at Old Trafford. Anyway, uh, that's got that's got to make them feel a little bit better. It always seemed like a, a bit of an overreaction in the heat at the moment. You know, Uni- United. Uh,
1: this haven't won it in so
3: long. <laughs> <laughs> it's for so many years of hurt. Well, the last time City won it was 2014, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they've suffered. They've they've, they've suffered.
0: Yeah. It, the, just the way everything is kind of being built up in the media, it really makes it seem like it's been 50 years or something like that for City. Um, but I tell you what, they've done it in good fashion. Um, but anyways, on to the questions. So, so
2: anticlimactic, though. Like, it's true. Like it's just like they have had the most incredible season any team has ever had in the Premier League. And, you know, the, they go out in Europe, and, you know, it's just like a dead rubber of two weeks for them. And then they win it because Jay Rodriguez from West Brom scores <laughs> scores a goal. It's just like, come on.
0: Well, and they like don't they, even they get, would have
2: wanted it last week. They didn't even get a house party with Vardy either. Like Lester did. That's true.
0: Marty likes to party. All right. First question from Eric via Texas. Good comeback. Not a good game, but a good fight. So this question is after today, what changes would you like to see in the starting 11 next time we play Southampton for him? It's obvious Giroud should start, but he thinks Cesc has to sit. Just not sure for who since Louise Ampadu are out and well, he just doesn't want anything to do with Bakayoko. Uh, You know, shout out to Mike, producer, graphic designer extraordinaire on the pod. He multiple times kept texting, why is Sess still on the field? Liam, he really, I don't know, does he have any options that he trusts on the bench for upcoming match?
3: Uh, not many. I think I think that central midfield position in particular next to Kante has been one of the biggest problems all season. Uh Obviously, everyone's going to point to the Matic sale. Bakayoko uh, h- has struggled maybe more than predicted. Danny Drinkwater's rarely been fit, and I'm not sure Conte's a huge fan anyway. And I think it's it became pretty clear even last season that Cesc Fabregas at this stage of his career is at his best as an impact substitute. You know, he's... I think he reminds me a little bit of Wayne Rooney. He's a lot older in football years than he is in actual years because of the amount of games that he's played. Uh, and I don't think he's got the athleticism to play 90 minutes week after week, particularly in a two-man midfield. You know, Even for Kante, that's a bit too much work to do, defensive work to do around a guy who is pretty much a passenger when you don't have the ball. So that's the big issue for Chelsea. I mean, Even last year, Conte didn't have a huge number of options off the bench, but he, he did at least have Fabregas often to bring on and Pedro or Willian, uh, one of whom invariably made an impact. And when you've only got the league and domestic cups to worry about, that that's fine, but they've, they've had a lot more games and, and arguably even fewer options this year. And that, that, that's been a big part of, the, of Conte's struggle.
0: Nick, to me, uh, I think the midfield has been the reason the team has done so poorly this season. I think that if you fixed one thing, uh, Conte's partner is it. And I think the combination of Modric being sold and Bakayoko not performing um, is the issue. But also, I look at Hazard and Fabregas as luxury players. There's kind of this title around them um, when they're not playing well. You have to say, man, is it worth having them in the team? They can be game changers, but for me, Fabregas cannot be a luxury player in a two man midfield. He needs to be in a three so that he doesn't have to do the side of the game that he's bad at.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's just clear that he doesn't have what it takes in this system. You know, there could be another system or a four three three or you know another combination of players that he could start a match with and not be a complete passenger for half of the game Um, because you do want his passing range. I mean, that's why he's, you know, it was destined to be a professional footballer. He has an incredible passing range that he hasn't really shown off this year, but we know exists. So, uh, you know, you, you want him in the team, you want him as an option, but I was watching Liverpool yesterday and you know, again, I think they're a little overrated, um, considering everyone uh waxing poetic about their, their Champions League performances. But uh, I you know, all I was imagining was that they're gonna have Nabi Keita next year in that midfield, and that midfield's already pretty strong. Uh it's an area that we have to upgrade with two or three players. I I, I truly feel that way, especially if Drinkwater goes uh and we don't replace or Bakayoko doesn't come back and find any form like there's just it's too important of a position to miss on uh with transfers so i mean maybe that's a ruben Loftus-Cheek coming back as an option uh you know certainly has the athleticism and dynamism to to drive the team forward uh but yeah it's an area for sure that you know we have to have to have to have to nail um no doubt about it The next one from
0: at Craig Ledoux saying, do we need to change our formation at the back or do we need to find wingbacks who can better meet the defensive responsibilities, Dan? Um, What do you think on this? Because, I mean, obviously we've seen it work last season, but uh, for multiple reasons, which we've kind of chatted about, it just hasn't come off this season.
1: I think, unfortunately, that's going to be a question that's going to be better answered when we know what Chelsea plan to do at the End of this season, heading into the next one, uh, you know, I think you have you know a couple players that you would want to review and understand. I mean, that you know, a couple that are on longer contracts uh, than others: uh, Zapacosta, uh, Alonso, Moses, um, now Emerson. So you, you have you know wingbacks, and I would imagine the club is probably not going to look to invest more money in those positions uh, without removing others and then the other question is going to be are we going to play with wing backs in whatever formation we end up with next uh if we go back to a back four um then you're not necessarily going to play with that so you're going to want to see who those can play as a left back or as right back and then those that can't uh do they move up into being uh, midfield players and if not then do they have a benefit to being kind of in our team or on our squad so I think that's going to be hard to answer until we know, um, you know, who Chelsea you're going to have as a technical director uh, and what the vision or the philosophy for the club is kind of moving forward. And then, secondly, who the the manager is going to be that's going to be putting the the pieces to work.
2: It's also going to be incredibly challenging, Liam, in a World Cup year with, uh, you know, with a window that is historically challenging to buy players in uh, for Chelsea to find some, some really good fits that, a what I think they want is to be like at a respectable price. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of that, but, uh, you know, I've been thinking about that challenge as well.
3: Uh, absolutely. I think it's the, the most crucial summer that Chelsea have faced probably since the summer of 2012, when they were rebuilding the team, um, after that, after that champions league win. And, uh, you know, keeping keeping Hazard and Courtois obviously the priority, but you've also got to try and recruit a significant number of players I think between that age twenty one to twenty five bracket that are on the way up, you know, Chelsea aren't going to sign Neymar. They have to try and find the next Neymar who who costs maybe, you know, between twenty and fifty million rather than two hundred million. Um and to do that you need you need smart recruitment, you need a coherent plan, which is why, as you say, I think they need to decide first how they're going to replace Michael Emanalo and then who they're going to replace him with. And it is a shorter window, not 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 just with the with the World Cup. But the Premier League clubs have agreed to to close their summer window a little bit earlier, before the season actually starts. So that that will bring the deadline forward as well. And we we all know how Chelsea have grown quite fond of scrambling towards the deadline in recent windows, not always for the for the biggest names either. So th- they, the most crucial thing is they need to get back into the business of signing top young talent. They haven't been doing that for a while. They've been filling out this squad around the core that they have, but that becomes crucial again, particularly if they if they can't keep hold of Hazard and Courtois.
0: All right. Well, another shout out to Mr. HEA45 who also asked about the wingbacks. Another one at Jason White 96 saying, there's a lot of talk about us not having leaders at the club anymore, but what players do you think we can sign who could fill that void? I don't know, but that's just a really good question that I want to throw out there. We've talked about this a lot about a spine and having actual on-field leaders. Uh, I think that is something that uh, Chelsea have to balance with these young, upcoming players. Uh, then, lastly, our last one of this pod is from at R Dale Hall saying, "What is the best pairing? A Giroud and Hazard, B beer and tacos, C macaroni and cheese, and D peanut butter and chocolate." He just says definitely A. I mean, no discussion.
2: Wow, uh, even uh, more. Billy,
1: B e- is a B is a strong. That's a, a strong contender too. Yeah, yeah, beer and
2: tacos. Uh, Ardale Hall, have you had tacos? Because they are a delight. Um, they're they're one of my favorite foods. Um, and I don't know. I'm I'm not as big of a chocolate guy, but uh, but beer and tacos could be a, a strong a strong uh, contender there. Brandon, thoughts? Uh, you know, it, it, it's all subjective, but I'm more
0: interested in Liam. Do you guys have Taco Tuesday over in in the UK?
3: <laughs> um, no, no, is the short oh answer. We've had tacos in exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had tacos in the states, um, and I know there are places that do them over here, but they are quite few and far between, and certainly not tethered to a particular day. Uh, Liam, that, but that that is a pretty strong combination, though. Beer, beer and tacos in me, in my limited experience.
2: <laughs> Liam, I'm not what sure. we're gonna do? yeah what we're gonna do is we're gonna like we're gonna come over probably sometime in the fall and we're gonna find a taco stand and just we're gonna we're gonna sit down and just enjoy the day because you can't really go wrong with any any tacos
3: sounds good so they used to say the same about Giroud and hazard all
0: right well thank you everyone Uh, to the social media questions as always um but lastly, up, uh, we do just want to run through the Burnley match uh, just to make sure you're aware because it's not the typical Saturday. Uh, real quick, though, uh, Dan, we've got some social media accounts that our friends, if they aren't following, really are missing out on.
1: Well, we did spend a lot of time during our trip posting to our Instagram account, uh, at LindaBluePod, which would be the same for uh, Twitter as well. But you know we've been trying to keep some posting uh, going on up there, and uh, maybe hinting at some content that will be coming out soon. We highlighted the fact that uh, much you know, like a, a Liam Toomey over there, you know, you know we now have been uh, into the the heart of Cobham, and uh, maybe have some special stuff coming out. So we'll, we'll be dripping it out slowly over on instagram if you want to be the uh, first to figure it out so follow us there at london blue Pod.
0: it's true liam i asked specifically where you usually sit at the cobham press room (laughs) so i could get the liam viewpoint in person it's 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 fantastic
3: it is it is it's the best one um it's all the way in the back right correct (laughs) (laughs) no no i don't sit at the back we 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 fed uh duff information
0: it might be. I sat in all of them, though, just to hedge <laughs> I, my bets. Uh, so. Okay,
3: okay. Yeah, well, I, I, I usually sit on the uh, on the second row, um, cent- central but towards the right, so I can cut in on my left foot, generally. Ah,
1: well done. Robin style done. <laughs> um, are, do, you, do you assist in Azar from that point? Is that how it works?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, when I, when I play football, I'm a, I'm a floaty, left-footed, luxury type. So that, that that would definitely be. A, I've taken to wearing gloves in cold weather as well. Oh. I've decided to embrace it. So so Hazard would definitely be the ideal <laughs> playing partner for me. There you go. would be,
2: oh, hey, be no. Don't don't say that. <laughs> now the club want to sign there'd you. There will be no tackles kind of, There be no there be no
3: tackles or tracking back. <laughs> that, that, that's the problem.
2: Luxury player. <laughs> yeah. Now now the club are going to sign you, and then we're going to you know we're going to waste all those millions of pounds. Waste uh, that could have been. Well, not waste, but obviously. But we need a midfielder. Who, <laughs> True. Can, who can run around. In box the to box, number eight. Okay, well, anyways,
0: next match up is Burnley Premier League match at Turf Moor. It's this coming Thursday. I repeat, Thursday, April 19th. You know, just tucked in right before a semifinal at Wembley on Sunday. So, again, thank you, FA. I, I get it's busy, but really, that that's the best we could do on that? Um, what makes it worse... Liam, is that Burnley's on form? They've won their last five matches in a row. They are, you know, it's Leicester, Watford, West Brom, West Ham, Everton, which isn't the most brilliant run of results, but they're in form.
3: Yeah, they're having an, an unbelievable season. It, it looked like they were kind of regressing to the mean uh, around the turn of the turn of the year because the first half of the season they were they were where they are now in the in the table, but they'd scored less than a goal a game. I'm looking at the table now. They've still only scored <laughs> 33 goals in 33 games, but their their defense is incredible. Um and they you know, they're so well coached. I think they might be favorites for this game. Um <laughs> based on just the way they're playing and the general sense of momentum around the club. They've got a pretty formidable home advantage as well Burnley. It it I've been to Turf Moor and it always seems to be the same climate regardless of the time of year. <laughs> which is really bizarre just cold cold brutally windy um and, and a little bit wet and just not hospitable at all and uh you know it explains why quite a lot of clubs have have difficulty there but i've got a lot of admiration for them as a team and i think if if chelsea are any less than on it which we have every reason to suspect that they they won't be fully on it uh especially so close to the fa cup semi-final then I, I heavily fancy Burnley to, to take something from that game.
2: Uh, Chris, our friend Chris Axon said that this, uh, this fixture last year, when it was like sleeting, was the coldest he's ever been. <laughs> um, and, and I believe him. So, anyway. No, you're good. I mean, Dan,
0: I guess, do you think there'll be a lot of lineup changes going into this, or is Conte just going to stick to his
1: best 11 like he usually does? I I have no doubt that we will see a facsimile (laughs) of the lineup that we saw today, barring any, um, you know, FA judgment on uh, the stampeding Marcus Alonso and, uh, you know, his his potential uh, rebuke from the the governing body. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if it was the same. And, you know, I mean... Uh, it's the uh, it's the southern it's like the Lannisters going north, right? Like I mean, you're going from <laughs> the, the south where it's nice and sunny uh, from King's Landing, and you're, you're you're going up to the face of the north, and the, the north remembers, and the north wants to get into Europa League football. So um, yeah, I, I think it's gonna be a super tough game. I, I genuinely think it, a draw is probably what ends up happening.
2: I would I would anticipate that drinks might get a, a chance to play as well. Uh, I don't know why, but like if if he if he is serious about Fabregas being the guy in midfield next to Kante, he's not going to be able to play twice in three days. It's just impossible for him. So I would anticipate some sort of uh, of change up there as well.
0: I mean, you assume that he trusts Bakayoko over Drinkwater because Drinkwater was he even on the bench this weekend.
3: No, he's um he's Conte says that he's suffering a from a problem with in his groin oh. area. Uh, at the moment so the latest in a long oh, well, line of injuries for danny drinkwater we'll, we'll have yeah. to see later in the week whether he's recovered in time but uh i wouldn't be That's, hugely confident at this stage ah, i mean so this big up. boy barkley time all right there we
1: go
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah ross made the bench yesterday what the hell yeah uh, three months ago all right anyway no well anyways that is it that will wrap it up as
0: always Chelsea fans thanks for listening liam a man of the day. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, on your Sunday evening, uh, getting in after a surprising win
3: after 65 <laughs> minutes, I'd say. Yeah, no problem, guys. Yeah, it was a reasonably eventful game to talk about and, and always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: No, thank you so much.
2: Uh, Nick, anyways, uh, final thought as we wrap this one up. Yeah, I, uh, so just coming off of our, our London trip, I know that we haven't had a chance to, to talk a lot about that yet. Um, more to come, uh, lots of content uh, from that trip. And, and just wanted to give one last shout out to our friends at XL Tours for taking care of everything. Um, even some some last minute changes, a, a full of match edition while we were there, which was really cool. And uh, and that was uh, an incredibly productive trip for, for the show. So much more to come.
1: Awesome, Dan. You as well. Uh, I would say that the Chelsea ladies today qualified for yeah. the finals of the Women's uh, FA Cup. Here, they'll be facing uh, look like Arsenal. So uh, yeah, you know, um, and five out of these six players shortlisted. Uh, for the Women's Player of the Year um, are Chelsea players. So uh, no surprise there in at least one or two of the teams, uh, including our U18s, uh, Chelsea are still very dominant. So uh, potentially, if you'd like a refreshing uh, taste of or change of pace, um, go watch some of their games.
0: All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, Chelsea fans. As always, we'll be back, uh, you know, in your podcasts next time but until then chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high
2: if you don't want the conversation to stop make sure to follow the london is blue podcast on facebook instagram and twitter and if you want to support the pod you can leave a five star review in itunes or donate on patreon.com the london is blue podcast presented by worldsoccershop.com.